0: Yeah, hey guys. Welcome to Consume, a podcast by me, Burton Olivier. Um, where I talk about all the things I consume. With the main framework being my uh watch a movie every day in 2021 challenge. Um it's Friday, first day of the week. I feel like I probably shouldn't even be recording today. I feel very off. Partly my fault. Who am I getting? Mostly my fault. I ordered these uh I got an email for like a Special promotion of like for these CBD gummies. You just pay the shipping, you don't have to pay the thing, So was like 10 bucks and they're full spectrum CBD So it's 50 milligrams of CBD and 5 milligrams of THC and that 5 milligrams since I have a very low tolerance <laughs> Really took me out. I feel real weird for most of the day and then also after tonight's movie I took a nap for over an hour and now I just feel uh, groggy and weird <laughs> It's okay today though Besides that, I enjoyed uh today's episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier doing a real good job with this series and uh on the physical consumption side, I ate uh, there's halal guys has a new like meatless gyro. Uh it was pretty good it's um like you can tell that it's not beef or whatever like the uh you can tell it's made from beans. Has a slight like cardboard aftertaste but like for the texture and the flavor like it does a pretty good job with those so I, I was stoked apparently this is a limited time thing so gonna have to get this a few more times before it's gone yeah you know it's good stuff um so today's movie is another reason i wanted to just go out and record today even though i should have waited till tomorrow as i feel like this today's movie is already like flying from my memory even though i did really enjoy it it was a uh, better off dead from 19... Uh, 19- 85, from 1985, uh, with John Cusack, and it's, like, almost a normal, like, 80s teen rom-com, but it is, like, has some, uh, real dark stuff. There's a lot of suicide jokes, and it's also very surreal, but, like, and there's a lot of, like, weird breaks from reality, but it's not weird or annoying. Uh, it just kind of feels good and fun. Yeah, I don't know. John Cusack plays a kid who his girlfriend breaks up with him to, like, date the skiing star of the of the, the high school and then it makes uh, him suicidal until he uh falls in love with the uh french exchange student across the street and yeah i don't know uh there's a lot of really funny bits in it there's like a weird claymation burger dance to a van halen song in the little movie that was funny uh there's a running gag of like a paper boy who's constantly menacing john cusack and like chasing him down like a slasher villain and that's fun um there's like a whole like thing about how he always ends up drag racing these two uh two guys who the wikipedia says are two korean drag racers who speak japanese which i don't know if that's accurate or if it's the uh i don't know it seems weird uh but like one of the uh only one of the brothers speaks english and he talks like howard Cassell, cosell um yeah i don't know um the biggest laugh for me though of the movie was the uh the main bad guy the jock kid whose name is roy stalin um after the burger dance scene it's when uh John Cusack's trying to work at this weird fast food place called Pig Burgers, and he gets fired and, like, kicked out of the door in front of his ex and Stalin. And they're eating at the restaurant. And Stalin tries to taunt him by making pig noises. But, like, the kid doesn't know how to make pig noises, or he didn't, like, want to fully commit to, like, the full, like, squeal. I don't know. It's, like, the weird... He just goes, like, ooh-wee, ooh-wee. And that's the, uh... <laughs> that's the pig sound. And uh, that that got me pretty good. But yeah, also uh, another secret Christmas movie. Even though know, Christmas happens like halfway, like in the first like 30 minutes. So, always like that. There's also a runner of um, his mom like making weird stuff. Like, she makes like goop that like literally crawls away at one point. and And uh, there's one part where she's like cooking like a big like crab thing. It's like a big puppet that's like sticking out of the pot. And then for Christmas, she just gets him a bunch of frozen dinners which apparently is based off of, like, his, the, the director Savage Steve Holland, um, like, that's something his mother actually did, <laughs> which is funny. Apparently this whole movie was actually more autobiographical than, uh, I would have thought. Like, the director actually got broken up with because of a ski, a guy on the ski team, and was suicidal, and also, like, failed his suicide attempt in a very hilarious fashion. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We don't got much else to say. It's, a it's a funny movie, a lot of weird stuff, and uh, oh, it also gets points for the ending, which was with John Cusack and the French girl. She's a baseball fan, a Dodgers fan, and it ends with them making out on top of a Camaro at home plate of Dodger Stadium, which is pretty, pretty rad. That is uh, something I would like to do one day, you know? Except maybe not with a high school um, French exchange student. Anyways, uh, that, that's all I got. Four stars. Fun, fun movie. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> hey guys, day two, pretty average day. I uh, got my movie done early, and then I, um, I don't know, organized my comics. I finally got them all logged. Got to put them in the boxes now, but I don't want to be like scraping a bunch of boxes around at 2 a.m. for my downstairs neighbors. Oh, yeah, a little bit of a curveball for my movie picking process. Um, I have a friend on Twitter. Marissa. I don't know if they actually listen to this. They probably don't. Um, But they uh tweeted yesterday, like, who wants to hang out? I have tomorrow off. And they live in, like, Minnesota or Wisconsin or some shit. I don't know. And so I jokingly replied, sure. And they said, yay. And I was like, okay, it's a joke. And then this morning I wake up to a DM. I was like, hey, let me know when you're free and we can watch a movie. And so we, like, did the like share screen thing and like talked during it and it was like the first new person i've talked to on a phone or whatever in a very long time so of course i felt like weird and had some social anxiety about it but once we got into it it was fine it was fun um and took us a while to like pick a movie uh and then we settled on they had never seen any of the fast and furious movies before and so we just watched the first fast and furious movie and i'm on record saying that fast and furious is the greatest american film franchise and i thoroughly believe that but i somehow always forget just how much fun this first one is it's it's just always a good time uh yeah if you haven't seen it it's point break but with cars (laughs) instead of surfing um and there's just so many funny little moments (laughs) like uh paul walker's character he flirts with uh vin diesel's sister by like always going to the little shop they own in Silver Lake and ordering a tuna sandwich. And so when the rest of the crew shows up and Dom, or no, Vince, the one who, like, has a crush on Mia, um, he just goes, what is this guy, sandwich crazy? And that's my favorite line <laughs> in all of the series. Uh, I've always had an idea. I need to find an artist who can do, like, rat fink drawings. I want to commission a... uh one of those crazy, like, bug-eyed, rat fangs drawings of Paul Walker, and he has, like, a stick in front of him, like, but instead of a carrot dangling, it's a tuna sandwich, Um, and it looks, like, sandwich crazy. Uh, And yeah, there's just so many, like, delightful little moments, like, even in the first race, like, the first uh quarter-mile street race that they do, that it's only supposed to last 10 seconds, but somehow it's, like, two minutes of movie time. Jaw Rule's in the race, and his motivation for winning is, like, a girl saying that if he wins, like, he's gonna get to fuck her no matter what, but if he wins, he gets to fuck this other girl, too. So, like, during the race, they just have Jaw Rule scream out, Menage! Like, Menage Trois. <laughs> it's so stupid. The other guy in the race, they show that he has a PlayStation in his car so he can play racing video games. But he sucks. They, like, showed the screen, and it's just him crashing into a wall in the game. And it's not like... It just looked like he purposely drove into the wall, so I don't get. He shouldn't be driving a real car if he can't drive a fucking Gran Turismo car like that. And yeah, it's cool. It just moves along at a good place. You're having fun the whole time. All the characters are stupid, and it's funny. Um, it was fun watching this now as like a someone more comfortable with LA because it was filmed a lot around LA. And it's just fun catching like the inconsistencies, like the final like climactic like chase where the like rival street racer Johnny Tran uh like when they're chasing him down and they kill him in the middle of the street right in front of this Burger King in Silver Lake which is like one of the worst Burger Kings uh and then Dom like runs away and Brian chases after him and catches up to him to do like a street race at this like industrial backstreet that is like way on the other side of downtown so that means they must have been driving for like at least 40 minutes <laughs> to get to this that takes place in like one little cut um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely being a little bit, I'm going to be a beloved, but, uh, I'm definitely going to be a little bit biased here in my rating because I just have to keep up the persona that I love these movies, but five stars, it's a lot of fun. It's stupid as fuck and it rules. And also just as like a respect for like what comes later, you just, I just can't help. Like this, though, so it does, it is kind of like throw a wrench in my later rankings because, like, Too Fast, Too Furious isn't going to be as high rated as this one. But, like, Fast Five is going to have to be five stars. And then I think some of them, actually, I don't know. Some of the ones after Fast Five might not be as good as Fast Five. We'll see. I might end up watching more Fast and Furious uh, movies sooner rather than later. Who knows? That'll be fun. It's always a great time. Um, But, but uh, yeah, that's all I got for you guys today. We'll see you tomorrow. Menage! Uh, hey guys, day three Sunday. Feeling real off today. I'm just real tired and Fatigued. My brain feels fuzzy. I think it's just the constant stress of this whole unemployment money thing still not being figured out Yeah, I should probably check on that. I gotta like try to call people tomorrow, I guess um, It's also it was hot today. It got up to like 87 and our apartment like it was pretty fine in here for like most of the day, but it's like the walls like trap the heat during the day and then when night comes, it like lets it into the house because it's like a fucking furnace in here. It's great. These old LA buildings, they just aren't made for weather. There's no insulation in the winter and no heat protection during the summer. It's ridiculous. Um. Anyway, so today's movie was uh, Harakiri. Death of a Samurai from 2011, directed by uh, Takahashi Mike. and I think I've watched, I think he did that Sukiyaki Western Django movie that I watched a while back, and uh, this was really good. It was a heartbreaking movie, and uh, I wasn't fully aware that it was a remake, even though I do have, I have the other, the original Harakiri on my, uh watch list, but I think I just thought Kitty" was, like, probably just a common enough name that, oh yeah, there would be an old one, uh, and a new one with the same name, but they're, like, not necessarily the same story, but I guess this is apparently pretty, uh, he kept it pretty close to the original story. Yeah, it's a fucking heartbreaking story, so it starts out a samurai is going to the court of this, like, feudal lord, and he's asking, he's, like, saying that he, like, is a ronin, He doesn't have any master, he doesn't have any money, so he's asking to use their courtyard to commit seppuku. And the, like, guy watching over the palace, um, like the head samurai, he, like, says, we had someone do this just a few last year, do you want to hear his story before you go? He's like, yeah, tell me the story. And then we cut back, and it's another ronin, he's a skinny kid, does the same thing, asks to use the courtyard for seppuku, and then, but then, like, once they actually get there, he, like, starts to freak out, and... He has a, uh, and it turns out that, like, apparently this is a thing, I I'm not sure how historically accurate this is, um, where ronins would go to wealthy houses that they had nothing to do with and, like, say they wanted to commit seppuku, but then the feudal lord, like, would take pity on them and then just give them some money and say, go away. And so this happened once and then became, like, a common scam. And that's what this guy was trying to do. He just wanted some money and then he just begs for one more day and he asks for three ryo which is, I'm not sure how the money worked back then. He asked for just three fucking dollars, basically, I don't know, and a day, and he'll come back and do it. And they're like, no, you need to do it now. And they, you need to do it with your sword. And he opens a sword, and a sword is just made out of bamboo. It's like the little sword. I can't remember what they're called. Um, Wakizashi. That might be it. I don't know. Um, but it's just made out of bamboo. and They force him, like, they're not gonna, like, take any fakers. And so they force him to do it, and so he commits seppuku, and, like, fucking he stabs himself in the stomach multiple times and this whole sequence takes like five minutes of him like whacking himself in the stomach and finally breaking and then the like the guy who's supposed to be a second because like when you commit buku, you stab yourself on the stomach and someone else chops off your head but the guy who is supposed to chop off his head is like being a hard ass is like no push it in twist it you must do this you like warrior coat and um uh and this is it's so fucking sad and like heartbreaking and uh and it's just it was just so hard to it was very hard to watch um and all of this because he said he just wanted three dollars for his sick kid and sick wife um then we cut back to the other guy and he's like okay that's a pit, like real uh pitiable story but I want to I want to do it so they get him the same situation in the courtyard he asked for the same guy to be a second but the guys nowhere to be around and then uh, they're like they don't know why he's not there and then the guy. Uh, asked to tell his story, and it turns out he's the, like, stepdad of this, of the the guy who committed seppuku earlier, and then it tells their whole backstory of, like, how he, the stepdad, was, like, was a warrior, and then after, like, everything is calmed down, and, uh, oh, that was another thing I didn't mention, like, the whole, all, they mention that all this, that all the samurais around the first kid committing seppuku, they're all young, and they haven't actually seen battle, so they don't know anything, really. So when we cut back to this old samurai, he has a kid, his friend, like, broke some stupid law, like, tried to, like, fix a castle when he shouldn't have, so he, like, died from stress of, like, disobeying the feudal (laughs) lord or whatever, and so he dies, and he takes in the kid, who's the kid from the beginning, and then it just shows their life, and it's, like, our old stepdad samurai, his daughter, his real daughter, and this kid, like, falling in love and get married, have a kid the wife is sick she's very frail she has a kid and the kid gets sick they don't have any money and so to get money you know guys the young kid sells a sword and tries to do the suicide bluff um and like i was expecting like a samurai movie like a battles and cool shit i was not expecting this like hard-hitting like heartbreaking drama of like class disparity and like sickness and loss it was just brutal And there's some real, they put some really beautiful moments in there too, like of the kids being sweet to each other when they're kids and then like the dad seeing his grandson for the first time and, (sighs) oh yeah. And then, so after the kid commits seppuku, they bring his body back and they happen to bring his body back right after his infant has died. Um, And then the, and then the wife kills herself. With the same, like, wooden sword. And so that's why the dad goes and he, like, finds the second guy and a couple other samurais and he cuts off their top knot and shames them. And then he goes and does this whole thing where now he's telling them the story and trying to, like, get revenge. And this leads to a very satisfying, like, final sequence where the, the lord, or, like, he's like the head samurai. He's not the actual lord. The head samurai is like, we did our part. We upheld our honor. And this is on you for, like, um, you and your people for not, like, doing it right, and he, uh, has his samurai, like, order to kill him, and then our main guy, like, fights them all off with a bamboo sword, and he, like, holds back, like, 50 samurai for, like, 10 minutes, and it's fucking really cool, and it ends with him, like, desecrating this, like, suit of samurai armor. He says something like, being a samurai is more than what you wear, (laughs) and, uh, he, like, throws one of the guys into it and destroys it, and, uh, yeah, and then he like just submits to dying and has one last vision of like the happiest day of his life so we've seen his grandson for the first time and yeah and then there's like a little coda where like the three shamed samurais come back and they all commit seppuku and then finally the feudal lord comes home he has no idea what's happened and he just sees the armor that's now been like reset up and like asks if they polished it because it's the pride of the castle kind of kind of like a whole i saw someone on Letterboxd saying it's like it's kind of like a like, class commentary thing, like, all they care about is this image, and then the the lord who, like, the, like, head samurai guy who, like, had to order the seppuku and, like, uphold all the rules while this was gone is also, like, trapped, like, the poor family's trapped in this system that won't help them, and they're also trapped in this display of masculinity and unfeelingness that they can't, um, escape or whatever. I don't know. Very heartbreaking movie. Good. It was good, though, and the performance is great. The, um, I have the tab closed, fuck, but the main actor, the dad, he was amazing, um, yeah, not what I was expecting. Also, apparently, this was a 3D movie, like, they released it in 3D, which is, I guess, 2011, it's, like, when that starts to become, like, more in vogue, but real weird <laughs> choice for 3D, like, there was not much action or, like, opportunities for it, and, like, this was the first 3D movie to be shown at, uh, Cannes, or Cannes, or whatever the fuck you call that prestigious film festival in France. Um, but yeah, four stars. That was a good one. Uh, I should probably watch the original. They'll probably hold off on that for a while, just because what a rough story to, to live in. Um, but yeah, that's all I have for today. We'll uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Alright, hey guys. Monday, day uh, four. Feeling pretty drained today. That may be just be because I went on two walks. I actually got over 10,000 steps for the first time in a long time, so I'm feeling physically and mentally drained from all the stress because I still don't know anything about my unemployment. I did get a, uh, response from, like, a state rep assistant. They're gonna send my case to EDD and something, so that's nice. I'm gonna get some help, they still said two to three weeks before you can hear anything, so... Oh, I don't know. I went to, uh, my first walk today. I walked to the library, got some James Bond uh, comics and a James Bond novel that's not by Ian Fleming. Uh, and I mostly got it because of the title. It's called Trigger Mortis, <laughs> which is very stupid. And But apparently it's supposed to actually be kind of a good book, so I'm excited to read it. And also on my walk, I tried to... Oh, I walked by uh, Kumail Nanjiani <laughs> and his wife <laughs> on my walk. First uh, celebrity sighting I've had in a while. He is... Definitely very jacked, but he's still, like, almost a head shorter than me, so I think I could take him. Um, and also on that walk, like, I finally realized on the map that there's, like, a park by me, and that's, like, one thing. My walk's been nice, but it'd be nice if I could walk somewhere and, like, sit somewhere nice to, like, read or something. So, like, oh, let me finally go check out this park. And I went, and it's completely closed. Completely blocked off. Which, I don't know if that's a COVID thing or what, but that was a bummer. Yeah. I don't know. I'm also kind of zoned out because I just spent the last, like, hour just, like, scrolling through. I got an email that a website has a points deal, so I'm scrolling through to see if I want to buy anything, even though I shouldn't because I don't have money, but that's one of my, like, uh, mental de-stressors that I enjoy is just, like, listening to a podcast while scrolling, scrolling through pages and pages of (laughs) potential items I want to buy. Um, anyways, today's movie. I watched, uh... Sicario, uh, written by Taylor Sheridan. I can't remember who the director was, but I do know the cinematographer was Roger Deacons. Uh, you know, Josh Boland, Emily Blunt, Benicio del Toro. Uh, this is definitely. I've become a pretty big fan of all of Sheridan's uh, writing and his stuff because, you know, Yellowstone and Hell or High Water and uh, Wind River are, like, all fantastic. And this is definitely my least favorite of everything. I've seen from him it was just very it's a very cold and unrelatable movie most of his other stuff has like a heart to it and it's usually there's like something about like downtrodden people and like this there's there's some of that in this i guess but like i don't know because like our main character is emily blunt and she's an fbi agent who like we the first scene is them doing a raid on a house where they find a bunch of bodies in the walls and it's very fucked up. And then there's a booby trap explosion that kills a couple cops. And this is like a house owned or like a property owned by um, a mid-level cartel guy. And so Emily Blunt's character gets drawn into an op by headed up by Josh Brolin, who's like a spook. We don't He says he's like a DOD liaison, but he's actually like CIA or something. And they're also working with Benicio Del Toro, who is like, we don't know what his deal is but he's like in to the name of the movie is Sicario, which is, means hitman, they tell you right at the beginning, like, in a little info thing, he's a Sicario, he's a Mexican hitman, basically, but yeah, it's a very interesting story, but it's just, there's no one you really, I could, like, relate to, or care about, like, I don't, Emily Blunt's character, like, she's an FBI agent, I don't, I'm not gonna relate to a cop, and she's very, like, she's a stickler about, um, everything being played by the book, and, like, at every moment, she, like, brings up her reservations and like can't go through with this op and by like the whole time i just i just didn't care about her um her reservations i guess so. It's like once you're in this deep who who gives a shit like i don't know i didn't really see anything she kept like wanting to make an actual case against this and i guess like there is some uh honor or value to like doing stuff by the book but when the whole situation this whole like cartel situation like to me it's just a sad story brought on by capitalism and white supremacy that we've like our system propagates you know and i'm uh it's almost 3 a.m and i'm trying to use big words and i'm probably failing but like so i don't really give a shit about the rules that she's like trying to uphold it doesn't um yeah i just don't care and so she has this, like, conflict the whole time, but she still, like, goes with them on the ops because she has to know what she got herself into. And, uh, and yeah, and they follow this all the way through till she, like... She, like, tries to do the right thing at one point by, like, starting a case, but then just gets her scene, which gets her targeted, which leads to a scene with, uh, John Barenthal, which was, uh, it's always nice to see him, but he, like, plays a cop who, like, works for the cartel and tries to seduce her and then tries to attack her, and then she's, like, shaken from that or whatever, and then she, like, follows them to the final op, which gets Benicio Toro into the um which the goal of it is to, like the secret goal is to sneak him into Mexico so he can go and whack the head of the cartel. Which he does. Like we learned being is like a f- lawyer whose wife and daughter were killed and so this is personal for him. So he goes to the the head cartel guy's house and he like takes all the guys out and he also like kills the guy's family in front of him, like the two little boys and the wife. It's horrible. Um and then he comes back and like he Shows up at Emily Blunt's house and she's like shaken from the op and is like forcing her to sign a paper But she like doesn't want to sign it because it's not true So she's still trying to hold up to her morals and he's gonna like kill her and then she finally just relents Um, and like that's like part of the his like moral or whatever is like he's a wolf She's not a wolf. She needs to learn her place move somewhere where she doesn't have to deal with this shit Yeah, I don't know. It was just it just wasn't a fun watch, which I know isn't like the point of this movie but it's uh it was just it was just like them like showing you like us on a platter like look how fucked up this world is isn't that sad and that's it there's nothing else um there's also like a runner of like this uh showing this mexican uh cop's family who uh like his daily life and his son who likes to play soccer and his wife who like whatever and he he's like a cop who's like working with the cartel and like the benicio Toro like finds him when he gets across the board and like make, uses him to get to the guy and then kills him and then the last thing the movie shows is like his wife and son like going to play so like a soccer game and like the wife alone watching and they're playing soccer and then like your gunfire and everybody looks for a second and then they just go back to their normal life and that's the end trying to show that like this is the state of their life and it's like i guess this is just it's another thing to show you like look how sad this is but i don't know it just didn't add much to the movie for me so i don't know i'm judging this i I'm, I'm i'm judging this off of a metric that i shouldn't which is my personal enjoyment like judging off the merits of this movie this would probably be like like a 4 or 4.5 cuz it is very well made it's a good story it's very well acted but since i just didn't have fun and i didn't relate to anyone i didn't get emotionally involved in anyone i'm going to bring this down to a 3.5 yeah I don't know, and there's a sequel which just focuses on Benicio Del Toro and Josh Boland's characters, which I think is just gonna be more bleak shit, uh, but I'll probably watch it eventually, just to be a Sheridan completist. Um, but yeah, uh, that's all I got for today. We'll, uh, we'll see you tomorrow. All right, hey guys, it's day six. I skipped recording yesterday, I didn't skip a movie, I still watched a movie. I just skipped recording, I was in a very bad mood, and I didn't want to, like, come on here and a bitch any more than I usually do um yeah I just wasn't in the right headspace and I was very stressed out so I was like I'll give myself a break um which is good I feel better today uh me and Dexter it's Wednesday so you know what that means we uh we did a nice little ride to the comic book shop went to mega city and I got my weekly books and that was nice they're kind of busy it was um so we got in now there real quick I felt bad because like there's a worker there who uh I would, he talks to me a lot and he's a nice guy and I haven't seen him in a while, when he was there and I like paid for my books and then just left quickly and I didn't even say bye to him and I I feel like a dick I feel bad um, <laughs> um, Anyways, then we went down to Pulp Fiction in Culver City because Dexter wanted some uh, some manga and I uh, I got some fun stuff I got a I got a, a comic called cowboy that I've been looking for for a while. I actually was almost about to order it online Uh, for like 17 bucks, but I found it in the $5 section at uh, Pulp Fiction. So that's nice. And I finally own all of uh, Sex Criminals, which is exciting. Uh, I can finally read all of that. Uh, Anyways, so today's, uh, or yesterday and today's movies, it's funny. It's like, um, they're kind of inverse of each other in that uh, I didn't think I was going to like the first movie as much as I did. And I thought I was going to like the second movie more than I actually did. So yesterday I watched Thirty Days of Night from two thousand seven, uh, and it's really good. It's like a very solid movie. It's a it's a movie that's based on a comic book, but actually it was like the guy pitched it as a film first, and then a comic book, and then the comic book got turned into a movie. Anyway, so it's about vampires. It's about like this town in uh, Alaska, Barrow, Alaska. It's a real place, and now goes under a um, an Inuit name. They changed it to the traditional name, and I. Don't have in front of me but i cannot pronounce it correctly so i'm sorry <laughs> i'm not even gonna try um so it's like one of those towns where in the winter they get 30 days of night actually i think it's 67 but for the movie they call it 30 days of night and so it's just this town and once the night happens they get a group of vampires descends on them and just takes over the town and kills everyone uh and they're like this is like a really weird uh creepy version of vampires they're very like feral they have like instead of just the two fangs they have all sharp teeth they speak their own like language they actually had a linguist uh help them make a language and it's all like clicks and hisses and very simple um sounds and the main vampire was played by uh danny huston who was in uh the proposition and who was also in yellowstone so this guy has range he was really good he's very scary um, and so then our, like, protagonists were following Josh Hart- Josh Hartnett, and, uh, he's a sheriff of the small town, and his, like, estranged girlfriend, and, like, a small group of survivors. Uh, yeah, it's just them trying to, like, get through the 30 days, and it's really well-paced. Like, it doesn't feel like a lot happens, but you don't ever, like, feel bored by it, um, and it was, uh, I don't know, there's some cool effects. There's some really cool kills. Um, it was just all around a fun time. I The, the ending was a little weak for me. Uh, like, uh, having Josh Hartnett's character, like, intentionally turn himself into a vampire to defeat them. I Like, sure, it's, like, dramatic and kind of cool to see him, like, fight with his vampire powers or whatever. But, uh, I don't know. I feel like the humans could have stayed human and still won. But anyways, a four-star movie. It's good, solid, and it's really fun. It's on Tubi for free if you if you want to watch it. Um, and then today's movie that I thought I was going to like more was Tombstone from 1993. The, like, famous western with Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer and Michael Rooker's in there and Sam Elliott. And, um, like, I had watched this before when I was younger. I know, like, my friend uh, Dane loves this movie. And I know a lot of people do. And I get it. Like, it's not bad. It's good. But the whole like vibe of the movie it just felt like a melodramatic high school play like everyone felt like they were in a play I didn't like fully believe everyone except for maybe Val Kilmer but it's also just because his performance is really fun um yeah and it's just kind of like the storytelling is a little clunky um I just didn't really care about any of them especially I didn't like care about Wyatt Earp like he um he just seemed like another fucking I don't know He was a lawman, already, you know, I'm not going to relate to a cop. (laughs) Um, And then, like, him and his brothers move to this town, and they just want to get rich off of, like, gambling or something. And he has his, like, wife that is addicted to opium, and he's, like frustrated with her, but then he like sees this woman and like immediately falls for her. And like, I wanna <laughs> I wanna call her a manic pixie cowgirl, but I don't think that's necessarily fair. But you know, they like run, run into each other and she like makes him chase her on his horse or whatever. And then she like asks him questions about like, what do you want out of life? What do you want to do? And she's like, I want to live off of room service and flirt, like just go around the world and blah blah blah. And see like Kurt Russell like kind of like pouting when he gets back to his wife and like try to like say the same things to her but she's like not into it and he's just like I don't know it just felt like a very like teenage boy um and I'm supposed to believe this is like a man I don't I don't know um granted at the end it this, says he like ends up with that woman and they stay together for another 42 years so maybe he's like my age I'm supposed to be like 30-ish in this movie or whatever and you know I still feel like a fucking child so <laughs> who am I to judge Um, but yeah, then we get, like, the fight at the O.K. Corral, and that, like, gunfight wasn't the most interesting. It was just fine, and then everything after that just felt like, I don't know. I just didn't really care about the fight between him and the group, the gang, the cowboys, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's some fun lines in it, and there's some, like, the settings are cool. Some of the visuals are really cool. There's, like, lightning, and then there's these, like, really amazing shots of, like, uh, the land at, like, dusk where, like, the top of the sky is all black from clouds, and the bottom was, like, black from the land, and you just see this, like, slash of oranges and yellows with, like, a station wagon, or not station wagon, a, uh, what do you call them? Horse-drawn wagon? Just a white, whatever, you know, like, silhouetted against the orange. So, that was, you know, there's some cool looking stuff, and like I said, Val Kilmer's a lot of fun in this, uh, but yeah, I just felt like it could have been better, or just, I don't know, I think there's better Westerns that, like, deserve more praise than this one. So, you know, 3.5 stars. Because I'm being nice, I could probably just give it a 3. Um, well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's all I got for these two days. And we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, it's still technically day six. But I was doing my, seeing what tomorrow's movie was going to be, my little system, and I narrowed it down to Pale Rider from 1985. And I was like, fuck it, I'll just watch it now before I go to sleep. And then tomorrow can be like a day off since I doubled up today and I'll just read comics all day. It'll be nice and I not have to worry about picking a movie. And also I was in the mood for like a Western that I enjoy after Tombstone. And it's funny cause Rider 1985 written, I don't know if it was written by Clint Eastwood, but it's directed by and starring Clint Eastwood. And um, it's actually kind of connected to Tombstone cause Tombstone starts out with a scene um, where a priest quotes, uh, revelations and does the whole, like, death will come for you on a pale horse thing. Um, and that's where the pale rider gets its title from, basically. Clint Eastwood is death on the pale horse. And it's, it's kind of, this movie is like the, the yin to, uh, high plains drifters yang, or as someone on Letterbox put it, which is probably a better way to put it, this is the angel to that movie's devil. Because It was a while ago that I watched that, but if you remember, that movie is basically about this, like, town that hired some hitmen to take out your problem, and then they turned in the hitmen, and they wanted a protector, and then Clint Eastwood shows up, and he basically, like, and he's, like, an awful dick in that movie. He, like, rapes a woman, and, like, does some horrible shit, and, like, wraps this town around his finger, makes them do all this, like, weird shit just to leave them to be destroyed by the hitmen, and then it's heavily implied that he's, like, a devil, or the devil who's, like, helping them get their, like, their comeuppance or whatever. But in this movie, it starts out with a small mining, like, colony. They're on a creek somewhere up in California, La Hood, California, apparently. And their little encampment gets, like, a bunch of cowboys come through and, like, break their buildings and run off all their, kill their cows and stuff. And try, they're trying to run them out. It's a big, like, mining company owned by this guy, La Hood, to, like, run them out. And a girl, they kill this girl's dog and... She, like, says a prayer. She says the Lord's Prayer. And she's kind of doing her little commentary about how she wants a miracle. And then, then it cuts to Clint Eastwood <laughs> riding in. Um, Yeah, and uh, he, there's, like, the dad, like, the stepdad, basically, of this girl goes into town. He's, like, the nice man who just wants this little mining community to thrive. He goes into town even though, like, people from La, Hood, La Hood's men are there to, like, intimidate him. But then Clint Eastwood shows up and, like... He kind of, like, jumps around. They kind of imply that he's, like, a little otherworldly in his movements. And he fights off all these guys with an axe handle. And then he goes with the guy back town. And we find out he's a preacher or whatever. And he shows up right as the girl, Megan, is, like, reading a passage. The passage. And as soon as she says, And he will come in on a pale horse, Clint Eastwood arrives on the pale horse. And he brings death with him. Blah, blah, blah. You get it. We also see, like, six gun wounds in his back. As he's, like, cleaning up. And you know, basically saying that, like, he died and came back to life. It kind of, he's kind of like the crow, or like, uh, I can't decide which stupid combo character to relate him to, because he's not really a ghost writer, he doesn't sell his soul to the devil, although maybe he did, maybe he died and he sold his soul to, like, stay on earth, or maybe he died and then God sent him back to be, like, the saint of killers, like, in Preacher, um... Anyways, and so the whole movie's him helping out this town. And it's just cool. It's, like, well-paced. There's some fun stuff. The guy who plays fucking... The guy from The Big Dude from Happy Gilmore who plays Jaws and James Bond. He's in it. and He plays a a thug for The Hood called Club. There's also a really young Chris Penn who plays the mining guy's son. Yeah, and he just helps out this town. And it's it's just a nicely told. It's a good story. There is some, like, real iffy... Like, it almost gets cancelable, cancelable, and, like, iffy because Megan, the 14-year-old girl, and she is played by a 14-year-old actress, like, falls in love with Clint Eastwood, and I'm very glad it didn't go where I thought it was gonna go, but, like, I guess it makes sense for a 14-year-old girl, almost 15, especially back then, like, you know, when times were a little different life wasn't as long as it is today she like has this big crush on him and he like in the nicest way like rebuffs her whenever she tries to like when she basically says like let's fuck <laughs> um he does a good job of trying to be nice and rebuff her and she of course re- like reacts harshly because she's a girl and like that, that makes sense but also it didn't make sense that like her mom who was like dating who's like Reluctantly kind of engaged to the nice man that Clint Eastwood helped at the beginning of the movie She also like falls in love with the preacher and I don't get why I didn't like get where that started It seemed very sudden. That's where my like spoiler. I gave this 4.5 stars, So that's where I gave my one little demerit to this movie is I didn't get that and I felt a little like Clint Eastwood gassing himself up by like mom and a daughter both fell in love with me Um, But it was handled (laughs) About as good as Clint Eastwood in 1985 could have handled this kind of storyline. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's cool. And, like, the uh, the climax, like, the uh, the mining baron, he, like, hires this uh, U.S. marshal with his deputies. And they're a very corrupt, like, cop force. And it's this older man who's, like, Stockburn is his name. He's, like, the head of them. And he, it turns out that he, like, knows Claneyswood or the Preacher and he might have been the one to kill him. And so Clint Eastwood kills him by giving him the same six shots, like the same scars that we saw in him at the beginning of the movie. So maybe this is just like a long form crow because he just like rides off into the mountains after. So maybe like after he gets his revenge, maybe he rides off and that's him like riding off into heaven because he rides up through the snow. I don't know, it's cool. <laughs> I enjoyed this one a lot. Um, Yeah, Clint Eastwood does a good job of with these, like, supernatural things. Because this could... It, it should feel a lot hokier than it does to have a Western with someone who is, like, basically immortal and has powers. But, like, it's not, like, enough to make you, like, disbelieve or to make it seem completely ridiculous. And, yeah. Like I said, um, the 4.5 stars. This was a great movie. And I'm glad I watched it. Uh, yeah. Oh, and I just remembered uh, before, because this is the end for the week, I guess, uh, so before I end this week, I just remembered I was reading the trivia section on IMDb for Tombstone. Someone, they put, like, one of the trivia things was, like, in the podcast Quantum Recast, they, the hosts, like, take Tombstone and recast it in the year 1970-something with the appropriate actors, and that made me so mad. That's not a fact about the movie. The IMDb trivia page is nowhere. It's not the place... To be promoting your shitty podcast, I looked them up. They only have, they have less than 100 followers on Twitter. I have more followers. Granted, I've been on Twitter for 12 years and so I've accumulated it and nobody interacts with me. But still, keep your fucking podcast ads out of the IMD tree. I I, I did tweet about it. I didn't tag them. But if I see them, if I, if I see these motherfuckers again, <laughs> I will tag them and call them out. I'm getting a little too hyped up about this, but it, it was just, just the principle of the thing. This isn't... The IMDb trivia page should be say, sacred, you know? It's not... This isn't the place for your for your advertisements. I don't want to listen to your podcast. I'm purposely not going to... Like, that does sound interesting, recasting Tombstone in the year 1970s. I'm sure Clint Eastwood was somebody you wanted to cast, or that they did cast, but now I'm never going to find out because I'm not going to listen to that podcast just based off of principle. Anyways, it's... uh almost 5 30, which means it's my bedtime. And so with that, we're going to end this week. Uh, again, I'm Bern Olivier at or on anything. If you would like to talk to me about anything, uh, and with that, it's time I disappear.